If you have your Bibles, please open up to the book of Acts, chapter 2. The book of Acts, chapter 2. We are taking one week break from Galatians while Pastor Joshua is away. Um, If you brought your Galatians little booklet that has the scripture in it. Oh, I forgot something. I pulled a great Joshua. Look at me following in good footsteps. Thank you, Lauren. Children can exit and go to our time for children. Go out this door, follow these people. You're welcome to go this way. If you're new here, um, it's kids kindergarten and under. Yes, kindergarten and under can go at this time. Thank you, Lauren, for flipping me down. If you don't know the joke on Joshua, then you haven't been here lately. He has done it consistently, though. Good for him. So we're in Acts this week. If you have one of your booklets that say Galatians and you didn't bring a whole Bible, I apologize. Hopefully you can keep up with this anyway. But if you have a Bible or a device, you can look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is the word of God. I don't know if you've noticed, for the last like 11 months at least in the United States, we've been in a pandemic. Life's been a little different. I know you never hear anything about it, you never think about it, so this is news, it's okay. I've heard lots of church conversations over the last 11 months. And a lot of it is, what's essential in the church? What are the things that we should keep striving to do during the pandemic? What are the things we want to make sure we get back to after the pandemic? Praying to God there will be an after the pandemic. And I hear lots of different answers. I hear some people say that, you know, we we just can't have church at all right now. There are things we can't do. Um, I hope we are being wise and meeting with distance, with masks and those kinds of things. We, We don't want to fail to love our neighbors, those kinds of things. Um, But going forward, I've been really surprised to hear lots of church leaders say things just can't go back to the way they were before the pandemic. They say, this is going to change things forever. The church is never going to be the same. And while I get where a lot of people are coming from on that, maybe your church does need to change a lot after the pandemic. Maybe your church wasn't doing biblical things before, and this has been a time to evaluate and become more biblical, but I really think that for a lot of churches, what we need to do is get back to basics. We need to get back to some of the core things the church is supposed to do as a church. Things that we've been doing here since I've been at Ashley River since last June. Things I'm very blessed to partake in with each of you. But things sometimes maybe we take for granted and we forget that these ordinary means of grace are God's means of doing extraordinary things in our lives and in lives in Charleston. Now, I have a disclaimer real quick. This is my COVID disclaimer. If somebody's watching from home or whatever, I don't really know which camera I'm on or anything like that because this isn't TV and I'm not good like that. But if you're watching at home or people are unsafe and don't feel like coming, this is not a sermon to attack people who aren't able to come gather in church right now, okay? If you're not safe, if you if you're, feel like I can't come, I need to stay at home to be safe, praise the Lord, praise God. I hope you're watching at home. I hope you'll come back when you can. So please hear that as my disclaimer. Because for everyone here, 
you're going to hear this as immediately applicable. If you're staying at home for a little while before coming back to church, this will be things you can devote yourself to when you come back. That's my disclaimer. Don't come and throw things at me after church. So this passage answers a question for us. We say, okay, what's essential in the church? What should we do during COVID? What should we do after COVID? This passage shows us what was essential in the early church. It shows us to what they devoted themselves. It's very clear in today's text. Look back in verse 42. It says, and they, now pause, and don't worry, I'm not going to parse every single word that we see, but we need to know who they is. Pro tip, if you're reading your Bible and you get to a pronoun, they, he, she, you need to know who that's talking about. Okay? So this one's really simple. Look back at verse 41. It says, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, if you heard that verse and thought about what that actually means, you're going to need a little bit more context, probably. You see, the book of Acts is actually a sequel. I know we're all about movie sequels these days. You have the Gospel of Luke, and then Luke wrote Acts. And the idea of the Gospel of Luke is, this is who Jesus is. He came, this is how he lived, this is how he died in our place at the cross. This is how he rose again. And Acts picks up the story of the church from that point. Acts chapter 1 shows Jesus ascending and giving a mission to his disciples. Acts chapter 2, they are praying and waiting for the Holy Spirit to descend on them. He does. There are tongues of fire. It's a really crazy scene. But then Peter stands up and preaches the first Christian sermon. A lot of people get saved. A lot of people get baptized. And that's who we're talking about in this passage. It's kind of cool to think about because they had about 120 people. Peter preached, and 3,000 people got saved and got baptized. If that happened today, just just think about that for a minute. If 3,000 people were here, and that many people wanted to get saved and get baptized, I've never experienced anything like that, have you? That's crazy, y'all. They go from 120 people just like chilling out in people's houses, going to the temple occasionally, to now, we don't have space for anybody, we got to feed these people, we got stuff to do. You know, First Baptist Church, Jerusalem, just boom, there it is. You're like, how do you know it was a Baptist church? They were all baptized. Verse 41, it's in your book, come on. Now this church, now that we know who they are, we notice the plural, they're doing all these things together. It says they devoted themselves. Devoted. Maybe not a word you use a lot, probably a word you're familiar with. It means they persevered in. They kept on doing these things things. As the theologian Joe Dirt says, they kept on keeping on. The early church was characterized by faithfulness to the things listed here. Some of y'all just got the Joe Dirt joke. I heard, I heard it. it was like a minute. It was like, oh, what did he say? It's okay. They are devoted to these things. So these are things that the church holds to. And some of you are looking, you're like, it's only in this verse. In Acts, then they go out to do missions. And they go out to do evangelism and their miracles. And how, how can you say this is what they devoted to? I can say it's what they devoted to because that's what Luke wrote us, inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God says this local church is devoted to these things. These are things that were non-negotiables. Sadly, we are not very devoted and faithful people in general. And I say we. This isn't just attacking any one church or anything like that. This is me too. We often hold loosely to our commitments, don't we? We say, somebody says, hey, come hang out. We're like, ah, Maybe kind of wishy-washy on those kind of things. Oftentimes in church, we're as faithful as we're comfortable being. 
We want to be members. We want to be involved in the process. But we don't want to be too involved. Relationships get messy. We've been hurting the church in the past, maybe. Maybe we have a favorite conference speaker or podcast preacher or somebody like that that we listen to. Maybe sometimes we're more faithful to what they say than to what our own pastors tell us. That can be problematic. We are not very faithful people, but in Scripture, God is himself characterized by faithfulness. One of the most repeated verses in all the Bible first appears in Exodus 34, verse 6. In the passage, the Lord passes by Moses and shows him his back. But as he passes, he proclaims this. This is Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Lord is faithful. He is devoted to his own glory and to his people. He is faithful to us even when we are not faithful to him. He's so gracious and kind. We see his faithfulness ultimately displayed at the cross. Ultimately, he sends the Son of God to die and save who? Sinners. He didn't come to save the righteous. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's faithfulness. So that's the Lord's devotion and faithfulness. Now, if we are in Christ, if we claim to be Christians, we say, I believe in Jesus, I embrace the gospel, I've been born again by the Holy Spirit, then what should we be devoted to? Now, I do not think that Acts 2.42 is the totality of the Christian life, okay? I don't think it's everything we are called to do, but I do think these are essential things. A church submitted to the Lord Jesus and to the authority of his word will have more than these devotions, but it shouldn't have less than these devotions. Does that make sense? Now, the four things we find are the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, it's important that we do not lose context here. When Jesus was ascended, does anybody know what Jesus told them to do? Told the disciples to do? Go and make disciples. So we see them, 3,000 people come to believe, they're baptized, and then they start devoting themselves to these things. Apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. Had they forgotten Jesus' commandment? Some people would actually say yes. They think the disciples were comfortable in Jerusalem, they just started taking care of them, and then it took persecution to drive them out of Jerusalem. I, on the other hand, really don't think they forgot Jesus' command. I think it is by going and establishing local churches that were devoted to these things that they were carrying out the mission of going and making disciples. Throughout Acts, you will see Peter and Paul and others go to places, proclaim the gospel, and then they start doing what? Establishing churches. Training up other people to take on roles. A lot of the letters in the New Testament are telling people, okay, now that you have believers there, this is how you do church. This is how you love one another. This is who should be pastors. This is who should be deacons. These are the ways you should sing songs. So the plan to go and make disciples was intricately tied to establishing local churches. Now some people want to take one evangelism conversation and say, no, this shows that you can be a Christian apart from the local church. I really think it's an assumed thing. Notice that these believers, as soon as they become believers and are baptized, they devote themselves to these things. It wasn't a question. It doesn't say, they had a big conversation about the merits of church membership. No, they knew how many there were, 3,000, and they all devoted themselves to these things together. 
So that's the context of what's going on here. It's important to remember that. Let's look at these devotions closely um, of, these other, of the early church. The first one is the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching. Now, if you're a brand new Christian, and you're like, what on earth is the apostles' teaching? That would be these people, right? Brand new baby Christians. Just started Christian kindergarten. They had just heard Peter, the apostle, one of the most famous apostles, preach. They had heard him preach Joel and Psalms, no less. Now, Christians in here, you may be really mature, but if I opened up to a random passage in Joel, I was like, preach Jesus from this, some of us would be like, I'm going to need a minute to look this over. Not that familiar, right? Peter stands up and he's like, here's Joel, here's the Psalms, this is about Jesus Christ. And he proclaims Christ to these people. He proclaims the gospel. Now, where did Peter learn to do this? Did he just make this up of like, hey, the Old Testament's about Jesus now and this is where everything shifted? No. Remember, Luke wrote Acts. This is the sequel. We're at the beginning of Acts. It's only chapter 2. At the end of Luke, Luke 24, verse 27, the resurrected Christ, talking to his disciples, says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. More than that, Luke 24, verses 44 through 47, it says, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written, the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. Do you see where Peter learned this? He learned it from our Lord Jesus. That's why they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. When we think about us devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching, unfortunately, I can't just like FaceTime Peter and be like, yo, Peter, what's up? Tell us about your teaching. But fortunately, we have a whole book. We have the Word of God, inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient for us. Do we know God's Word? Now, you know, like, of course, here's a preacher telling me to read the Bible, of course. It's not just an academic exercise. It's not just knowing more. We want to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching because we want to know and enjoy God. And we want to know how to live lives that glorify him, do we not? If your answer to that is no, I'm going to assume you're not a Christian. Because if you say you're a Christian and you don't want to live for the glory of God, you've missed something really important. When we find new life in Christ, we want to be devoted to God, and thus we need to be devoted to his word. Devoted to the apostles' teaching just as the early church was. Now, Ashley River Baptist Church, we are very blessed people, if you don't know. Because we have a senior pastor who opens the Bible and preaches it to us every single week. Every single week. That's a big deal. I've visited lots of churches in my life. A lot of times, and you can see some of these on TV, they'll hold up the Bible and say, this is what the Bible is. And then they'll set it down over here. And then they'll talk to you for 30 minutes. What a waste of time. If that's actually God's word, tell me what's in there. Let's be devoted to God's word. Y'all, it's through God's word that he calls and convicts people. It's through his word that he conforms people to the image of his son. And we should be devoted as a church. I'm blessed and thankful. This church is one of those churches. If you're new here, I can say that about this church. Come to a place where the Bible is preached. Amen.
Now, if you look in verse 43, we get a little bit more about being devoted to the apostles' teaching. Because it says in verse 43, And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, notice that the all comes before the signs. That's an interesting thing to me. They're Christians, they're gathering, they're devoting to these things, and they're in awe, and then signs are happening. We often, when miracles come up in Scripture, we just like dart our eyes at that. We're like, oh, this is so cool. And it is cool. But do you know what the wonders and signs were supposed to do? It's not that hard to think about, really. Do you know what a sign does now? It tells you what something is, or it points you a certain direction. These signs pointed us to the truth of the gospel, to the truth that was being proclaimed. That was why these signs were being done was to validate what the apostles were saying. If Peter showed up and said, hey, the entire Old Testament is about Jesus, there were a lot of people there who were going to say, no, it's not. But when you start healing people, they start going, maybe we should listen to this guy. And that's what was happening. God was giving these incredible signs, the power of his Holy Spirit, to point to the truth of the gospel that the apostles, the apostles were proclaiming. Notice here it's specifically talking about the wonders and signs that the apostles did. It says, through the apostles, the end of verse 43. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching in all the ways they could be, which means they were devoted to the word of God. Second thing they were devoted to was the fellowship. The fellowship. This is a word that really only church people use unless you're a Lord of the Rings fan. And then you know about the fellowship of the ring. But I'm just telling you that, church people, because when you talk to somebody outside the church and you say fellowship, people are going to go, what are you talking about? Fellowship. Here, we're talking about them looking out for each other's needs and being of one mind working toward a common goal. Devoted to the fellowship. Now, what was their common goal? To make disciples. They were submitting to the word of God. They were united by the gospel. And they were going to make disciples. Now, easy to say that. I say that. Some of us are like, oh, that's so sweet. We love the sweet fellowship of the church. Y'all... I have been a part of some sweet fellowships. A lot of you are so encouraging and kind to me and to my wife. We really, we love that. We hope that we're doing the same for you, that we're encouraging you and stirring you to love and good works, as Scripture says. But y'all, look at verses 44 and 45, because this is unique. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Some of you are really uncomfortable already. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Whoa. What would it be like if we, as a church, gathered together and said, oh, you need some food this week. Let me just sell my iPad. Some of y'all are like, don't touch my iPad. I like my iPad. This is what was going on. People saw the needs of others as more important even than their own possessions. Now, this is not some formal way of doing communism, okay? No one was being forced to do this, and they still had possessions, because it tells us they met in homes, things like that, okay? So people still had possessions, but there was this radical generosity being shown that in the power of the Spirit, as a response to the gospel, people began to look at their brothers and sisters in Christ and say, I'm going to take care of you, and you're going to take care of me, and we're going to get through this together. What an idea for a church to be together. Now, all of this sounds great. I don't know many people who wouldn't sign up for unity, all right, e even in our culture. You say, like, yeah, we're all going to rally together and put our differences aside. And people are like, yeah, let's do it. The truth is, though, that doesn't work if we are dead in our sins. We are sinful people by nature, 
I'm a sinful person by nature. We have sinful flesh. So what is the basis for this kind of unity in a church? Ephesians 2, 13 through 16 tells us, it says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, in that specific passage, we're talking about Jews and Gentiles being brought together in Christ. But the truth is, folks, the reason that whatever your background is, whatever race you are, whatever gender you are, whatever age you are, the reason we can unite together is the blood of Christ. It's the gospel. He is the one who brings us together. Take just a moment and just look around this room because there are people in here that you probably wouldn't interact with if you weren't united in Christ at this church. I'm not saying you're rude or that you'd be mean to them or anything like that. I'm just saying there wouldn't be any natural sense of connection. You might pass each other in the grocery store, never say a word. But when we come together in Christ, suddenly we are saying we are our brother's keepers. We are our sister's keepers. We care for one another because Jesus has brought us together. Now, friends here who are not Christians, you say, that just sounds way too good to be true. But so does the gospel. The idea that there's one God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that the Son came to earth and took on flesh like ours, that he lived a sinless life that we could never live, that he died at the cross paying the debt for our sin, and that he's alive now after being dead three days, and that all who trust in him will find life now and forever, that's a pretty crazy story. But it's true. And if you will believe it, you can find new life in him and find this unity that's being spoken of. Now, certainly, we do this imperfectly in this life. Many of us have been part of broken churches because all of churches are broken, because we as sinners are part of it. But what an ideal to strive for. And what a firm foundation to stand upon as we strive for it, as we stand upon the foundation of Christ, our cornerstone. His blood, his gospel is what unites us. And seeing how they're devoted to the fellowship, I think of Psalm 133.1. It says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. In unity. How can you help there be stronger unity in this church even today? Even this week? Who can you ask forgiveness from that you've wronged in the past? Who do you know that's in need that you can look out for, you can serve them? Brothers and sisters, this is what we're called to do. This is part of the Christian life, and we want to be devoted to it just like the early church was. So, so far we've seen that the church was devoted to God's word and to God's people. Third, we see they're devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, specifically because it says the breaking of bread, we're talking about the Lord's Supper. Communion, as some of you might call it. Why was the early church so devoted to the Lord's Supper? Kind of a random thing to have in this list because you're like, yeah, God's word, God's people, one specific ordinance? But the truth is, historically, a mark of a true church is that they keep the ordinances. And when I say the ordinances, I mean baptism and the Lord's Supper. All these people were just baptized. We just read that in verse 41. And now they're devoting themselves to the Lord's Supper. Why? 
1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When we observe the Lord's Supper here at Ash River, which we did last week and we'll do again next month. So if you're looking for the elements, like, are we supposed to do that today? Not today. Though a lot of churches do it every week. It's likely the early church did it every week, if not more often. But this is a way of proclaiming the gospel. Have you ever thought about that in taking the Lord's Supper? This is a way of proclaiming Christ's death until he comes. It actually has past, present, and future implications because we're remembering what Christ has done at the cross. We're participating now in his life. And we are proclaiming his future coming. Past, present, future. We remember, we participate, and we anticipate when we take the Lord's Supper. And the early church was devoted to this, and we should be too. Now notice in verses 46, it says, And day by day, attending the temple together, that's an important thing to think about, just a side note, they didn't stop going to the temple because these former Jews saw this as a continuation of what they believed. They saw this as the fulfillment of the promises of the Old Testament, not something totally new to stop going to the temple. So they go to the temple day by day, and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with gladness and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Notice it says breaking bread again in their homes. There's a chance the church was gathering in a home and having a big meal and taking the Lord's Supper at, at the end of it together. But likely these are kind of two separate things. Notice the other one says the breaking of bread. And this one just says breaking bread. So for any good Baptist, be excited. Not only were they devoted to the Lord's Supper, they were also devoted to just eating together. Am I right? Baptists can do some potlucks now. If you don't know what a potluck is, ask somebody near you. There's probably somebody within a stone's throw in this room who can, who can tell you what that is. Good food builds fellowship, and people were devoted to it, not only for the Lord's Supper, but in eating together in their homes. This led to glad and generous hearts, praising God. And notice it said, it gave them favor. They had favor with all the people. All these devotions so far that we've looked at, and this church had favor with the people. Now, I'm not saying every church is going to have favor with the people. We find out in Acts, people get killed, people get thrown in prison. That's, that's not a promise from Scripture that everything's just going to be easy when you're a Christian. If you've been told that, not the truth. But in this instance, the Lord was working miraculously through this fellowship. And as they devoted themselves to these simple means, they found favor for the time being. The fourth thing they devoted themselves to were prayers. The prayers, some say which prayers? Generally speaking, all kinds of prayers to the Lord in Jesus' name. They prayed when they were together. They prayed when they were alone. They prayed when they were in prison, we find out in other chapters of Acts. They prayed when they gathered for worship. I'm going to get in your business just for a moment, okay? Before our sermons here, we do what we call pastoral prayer. It's usually pretty long. Is it hard for us to keep our attention on the Lord? What we're praying? When you pray, if we give a moment of silence to pray, how long does it take before you're awkward? I think it's because maybe one thing we're missing generally as a church, not just pointing any fingers here at Ashley River, is that generally Christians in our country, we're not great at being devoted to prayer. It's weird for us. We don't practice it at home. Maybe our prayer during the week looks like, thank you, Lord, for this food. Amen. Maybe, but I'm actually really thankful to be at a church that prays. We have long periods of prayer in every service that we meet. 
And we pray, we do a corporate prayer, we all pray together, we pray pastor-led prayers, we have times of silence where we all pray. That's a good thing. That's a biblical thing. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that I do think there are saints here, some of you are, are devoted to this. And you're enriched by this. You have a rich prayer life. Several of you have been so encouraging to me and told me ways you're praying for me and for my wife. Thank you. Please keep doing that. I thought about this a while back because prayer is probably the most common thing Christians struggle with to do. And I was thinking about it in my own life. And why is it something that feels like, oh, I've just got to get better at it. It feels like such a chore. And yet when we pray, we never regret having prayed. Have you noticed that? Never do you finish a prayer and think, man, I could have spent this time doing something else. No, we get to commune with God because Jesus has died and risen again to save us. We can approach his throne with confidence. What a joy it should be to pray. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5.17 can say, pray without ceasing. Our life should just be a lifestyle of prayer where we're communing with the Lord. As we go throughout our day, are you aware of his presence? If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. The same Holy Spirit who hovered over the waters before the earth even had form. The eternal God dwells in you. How much encouragement should that give us just for our day-to-day lives? Much less our gatherings as a church and our devotions as a church. Notice at the end of this passage, we're getting toward a conclusion here. It says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, we don't want to take a narrative from Acts and say, all of this is what's going to happen here. If we devote ourselves to this, the Lord's going to add to our number day by day. Maybe. Hopefully. But something miraculous was happening here. 3,000 people came into the Lord, and it doesn't say they started evangelism explosion as a program. It doesn't say they had Billy Graham come and speak. No, they, they did normal church stuff. And as they were being the people of God together, the Lord used that to make the gospel visible in Jerusalem so that people were responding to the gospel. I don't know which author or pastor I first heard say it, but I've heard it commonly said that the church is the gospel made visible. When we're devoted to these things together, people can look at us and see evidence of who Jesus is and what he's done. Is that true of our lives? I think it can be. I think it's something we should aspire to. It's something I have experienced, even in this church. Have you? Have you had interactions with your brothers and sisters here that were so sweet that you said, man, I just love how they love the Lord? You've been served in unexpected ways that you said, man, why would somebody know exactly what kind of candy to get me for Christmas? Thanks, Lauren. Just thoughtfulness, evidence of grace. You know, we experience these things, and so often we take them for granted, of like, oh, that's just a nice person. No! We're people who have been changed by God, and we should all be that way to one another. And when we are, it's such a sweet thing, isn't it? When we are of one mind and devoted to these biblical things, it's such a sweet thing to be part of. Now what's good is, if we devote ourselves to these things, we don't have to just freak out and say, the Lord isn't adding to our number day by day, we must be doing something wrong. And the reason we don't have to do that is because of something that Jesus said 
in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, Peter makes profession. He says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And right after that, Jesus says to him, and I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Notice what Jesus did not say. He did not say, you are Peter, you will build my church. He did not say, you are Peter, pastors and church members with the best ideas and the most talents will build your church. He did not say, money will build this church. He said, I will build my church. Do you know whose church this is? This is Jesus' church. Some of us get to stand up here and be on a microphone, but that doesn't mean that we are Lord over this church. We submit with you to the Lord and to his authoritative and sufficient word. And he will build his church. Unbelieving friends, throughout today's sermon, you've heard of the one true God who is abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We've spoken of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're saying, I don't believe all this, I'm just here because somebody made me come, I pray that you would reconsider these words. Consider that Jesus is building his church. That means he is presently alive and active through the power of his spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ reigns and you can know him if you will turn away from your sin and trust in him for salvation. I pray that you would do that today. If you're thinking about those things, if you're considering those things, please find me or a church member here after service and talk to us about the gospel. We're not going to force you into anything weird or manipulate you in any odd decision or make you join something. We're not doing that. We would love to talk to you about Jesus. Believing friends, as we hear about these devotions in the church and we hear that these are the things we should be focusing on, it should Give us some comfort and some courage to know that Jesus will be building his church as we're doing these things. Comfort and courage, because one comfort, that the salvation of God's people does not rest on my ability or your ability to be eloquent or convincing. Sometimes we feel a burden as a church of we've just got to figure out the next thing to get more people in here. No. We need to be devoted to biblical things and be faithful in our day-to-day lives, and trust the Lord. He will build his church. That should give us some comfort. That should help us to rest. Now, the courage comes because it should make us bold to proclaim the gospel even in Charleston to our family members, to our friends, to our neighbors. Why does it give us boldness? Why does it give us courage? Because he will build his church. He has not forgotten us. The Lord is not done. Jesus hasn't come back yet, which means our mission is still to go and make disciples. And we do that through faithful local churches that are devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. These things shape us and conform us into the image of Jesus so that we can glorify God and faithfully live for his glory in our neighborhoods, in the places where we work, and the places where we go and play wherever we go. I hope you hear that the Lord does extraordinary things through the ordinary means of grace. 
I pray that through these devotions, the Lord will be at work in you and through you and in me and through me as well. I pray all these things for the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray for me now? Pray with, pray with me now. Father, we thank you for your word that's so clear about how simple the early church did things. We thank you for a clear word on these devotions, and we pray that we would once again be devoted to them. Father, reveal to us where we miss these things or where we laid them aside. And in your kindness, draw us to repentance. Help us to have joy in returning to you and to your ways. Father, I pray that anyone here who does not yet know you has heard the gospel today and will respond in faith and repentance. I pray that they'll continue to seek you even if they still have questions, even if they're not sure about everything, even if they don't feel perfect. I pray that they know that you will welcome them in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that we can come to you as we are, but that you don't leave us that way. That you radically transform us and make us new and give us new life and new purpose that begins now and lasts for eternal life with you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.